0: I'll read verse 6. 1 Peter 5, verse 6. Humble yourselves therefore. I want to speak to you for a moment about humbling yourself. How would you do that? Interestingly, the word, two words, one Greek word, is the imperative mood, so God commands us to be humble. What's intriguing, it's the passive voice. You know from your English class the difference in an active and passive voice. Active voice, the subject is doing the work, is doing the action, but passive voice, the subject is being acted upon. How do you obey a command passively? I think the answer is... We're responding to the activity of God who takes the initiative. All self-humbling is but a response and a receiving the activity of God who's active in humbling you. So consider three ways in which we respond to God's work of humbling us by being humble and then out of that passive humility flows activity. Three ways, the wonder of God, the word of God, and the work of God. First, we respond to the wonder of God. And you see this in verse 5. Likewise, you younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility because God is resisting the proud and is giving grace to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore. The wonder of God is the wonder of His grace, and grace should be a humbling experience. The word wonder, when we think about it, means to be surprised and filled with admiration at something that is so unexpected and inexplicable in your life. And grace is that thing, isn't it? When we're filled with the wonder of God, it should produce great humility and a low view of ourselves as we respond passively to the wonder of God's grace just by beholding it and receiving all that God is for us in Christ Jesus. We should be amazed. You should be amazed that God would save a sinner like me. I am shocked that God would save a rebel like you. That is how we should be filled with the amazement and the wonder of God's grace. If not, we we begin to move from humility to pride. Humility will shape our thoughts about ourselves and then shape our thoughts about one another. Pride shapes our thoughts about ourselves and it also shapes how we view each other. Without grace, consider for a few moments what that would mean. Without grace, you can't be saved. 1 Peter 1, 2, Elect according to the foreknowledge of God through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace be multiplied. Grace comes in electing grace. You don't choose God, He chooses you. He takes the initiative. Is that not humbling? Does that not produce A low view of yourselves. Is it not inexplicable? Is it not, as Stuart Townsend wrote in his song, How Deep the Father's Love for Us? Why should I gain from His reward? Why should you gain from His reward? We do not have an answer. Do you have an answer for that on the human level? Can you answer it? Well, I can see why God would be gracious to you. I mean, after all, you did respond. You did exercise your faith. You did move toward God. No, you didn't, beloved. Unless God first moves to you in electing grace, there is no movement toward God. Election, because of the foreknowledge of the forelove of God, produces salvation or sanctification by the Spirit, then leads to obedience, your obedience. Not only can you not be saved without grace, you can't even obey God without grace. You can't move a finger toward God without His grace. Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. And that's exactly what he meant. Nothing good, nothing, nothing, no obedience. Without grace, you can't worship. Peter would say in 1 Peter 2, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that you may grow thereby, if so be that you've tasted that the Lord is gracious. To whom coming? Worship is a tasting, an experience of the soul that treasures God, that leads us to worship and adore God Himself. But you've got to taste grace to come to Christ. And if you've tasted it in the past, what's going to keep you coming? That you keep tasting, you keep experiencing the joy of the Lord, the stronghold of Christ is what is going to produce worship in your life. But you can't do that without grace. Is that humbling? It should be. You can't serve God without grace. 1 Peter chapter 4. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You can't serve spiritual gifts because you don't have them without grace. Manifold grace means God has bestowed the church with all kinds of gifts of grace. So if you've been gifted with grace, and you have if you're a believer, so if you've been gifted with speaking Speak as of the oracles of God. Draw your meaning from the text and give it to the people. If you minister, then serve in the ability that God is giving so that God in all things may be glorified in Christ Jesus. So without the ability that God is giving, which is grace, your spiritual gift doesn't get off the ground. You can't serve without the ability of grace. So we're to serve in that grace, in that ability, so God gets glory for the service because He's the initiator, He's the one working through you to produce it. Is that humbling? It should be. You don't do anything without grace, except sin. You, you do that without grace. You can't reach glory without grace. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, But the God of all grace, who hath called us unto His eternal glory, by what? Grace. He called you by His effectual grace, Brought you into the kingdom. He'll sustain you by His grace and grace will lead us safely home. The calling of grace ensures the end of grace which is glory. You don't get there without grace. Is that humbling? It should be. And you don't stand without grace. Verse 12. This is the true grace of God, which means there's a false grace of God. This is true whereby... Wherein you stand. You have a standing. You have a position with God. Without it, you have no standing. You have no position. So our first passive response is a humility that is filled with wonder at the grace of God. The wonder that God would come to you and save you. The wonder. The surprise. The unexpected Good news that is inexplicable on the human level, but on the divine level, God tells us, doesn't He? He says, the reason reason I had grace on you is because I will have grace and be gracious to whomever I want to be gracious to. And I will be merciful to whomever I want to be merciful to. And that's it. That's humbling. It's nothing in you. It's nothing about you. It's nothing you do. It's nothing He foreknew that you would do. Because God can't foreknow something that you would do if you don't exist. That is humbling, which is the point of the text. Humble yourselves, therefore, beholding, wondering, being filled with the amazement. Because God's grace is truly amazing. Now what happens if we move from humility to pride? We lose sight of God's grace. We're no longer filled with the wonder of His grace. We're no longer really amazed that much with grace. Because, in fact, in a culture we live in, we kind of expect it. We kind of expect God to be gracious to us. I mean, after all, we're Americans, and we've got some part we play in it. We move from humility to pride. What happens? Well, instead of worship by grace, we begin to move away from worship. Instead of serving one another in humility, we move to self-service. That's another way of saying pride. Pride is autonomy, which is self-government. It means I'm, I'm going to do life. I'm going to have me time. I've got all these things I've got to do. And what happens? The body of Christ, the service of God, the service in the kingdom. We flip The statement, the text, it says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. And we make that second. And we put self-government first. We become aloof to the service of God's people. Why? Because we're no longer amazed at God's grace. We're not filled with the wonder of it. And then slowly but surely, we move away from what God is saying in this book. And we move toward self. Does that describe you this morning? Are you aloof to the people of God? Are you aloof to the service of God? Is this kind of an attachment add-on? Or is the forefront of your heart and mind and life is seeking God's kingdom, God's righteousness first? Priority. Well, it could be. You no longer are filled with the wonder and amazement that the only thing that separates you from an unbeliever is The grace of God. How good is God? Number two, the Word of God. Here, to humble yourselves means we're responding to God's initiative to bring you the Word, to bring you the law that humbles you, to bring you the law that says you're not sufficient, you're bankrupt, you're a sinner, you're a rebel. So a humble response to God's Word rather than a proud response is passively just to come under the Word of God and receive what it says. See, we're not doing anything yet. Now activity will flow out of that. We're just receiving it. The Word of God. And so we we see this in verse 2 when Peter talks to the elders. He says, He is an elder also in verse 1. He's a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you taking the oversight thereof. To feed is poimino, which means shepherding, nourishing, to supply what is requisite for the soul's need. It means to rule, to govern in such a way that the elders are not being lord over God's heritage, but examples. There's no lordship here. There's being example, but taking leadership. Now, if you're taking oversight or the elders are taking oversight, which Here the word oversight means to oversee, to watch, to look after, to care for. The presupposition is a flock is coming under the care of elders. So the implication is a recognition and a submission to God-given authorities with God-given parameters. And that's an important statement, isn't it? They're God-given parameters to God-given authority, but the implication if elders are going to take the oversight, which it's one word in the Greek here, which means they are given oversight by the church because we believe in congregational church authority with pastoral leadership, not bishops that serve in a way to make all decisions, all authority rest in a few men. So the only way that that works itself out is there's a flock for which the elders are among that have come under that leadership in submission. Now the question is, why did we need oversight anyway? If you were to ask me, say, Brother Mike, what do you think about oversight? I, I, I think you're fine without it. I think I'm fine without it. I mean, wouldn't you conclude that? But God doesn't think we're fine without it, apparently. Now, the, the, the first answer as to why we need oversight could simply be, well, God says we do, but there's more to it than that. And here are a few reasons. One is that submission fosters humility and unity. Verse 5, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder, yea, all of you be subject one to another. So everybody has a role to play in submission one to another and be clothed with humility. right? Why should you be clothed with humility which in this context to be clothed with it, and here you don't want to be dressed immodestly, you want to be fully clothed with humility, is submission. If you say, what is humility in this text? It is being submissive to God-given authority to one another. And in fact, the book of 1 Peter unpacks Different roles where this submission takes place. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man, 2.13. Submit yourself to your masters in all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but to the froward. Employer your employee, or employee we, could, we could apply that today. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, which is a kind of submission to Christ that works itself out in dwelling with your wife according to knowledge. And then, then verse 5. The younger submit to the elder, and all of you be subject one to another. So humility here is a recognition and a submission to God-given authorities where those roles that God has placed up in the various ways. That's part of what 1 Peter is about. Now what happens if you throw off the clothing of humility? Well then, God is resisting you. Because the whole basis for to be clothed with humility is because God resists the proud. The proud. He gives grace to the humble. Why should I submit to you? Why should you submit to me? Because if we don't, God is resisting me and He's going to resist you. I think that's a pretty good reason. Therefore, humble yourselves. Respond to the Word of God. This is a passive response. First, respond to God's Word by coming under God-given authority. That sometimes is off the mark. Sometimes it's abused. Sometimes sinners don't do it right. And there's parameters biblically to address that. But God says, come under that. And you're clothing yourself with humility. Secondly, it's profitable for you. Now we could imply that, what was just said, but Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, it is profitable for you. So there he says, obey them that have the rule over you. Rule there means leadership, guidance. Be persuaded, obey them that have rule over you. Now what's the parameters of that? I think it's verse 7 or 8 in the same chapter. Remember them that have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God. So there are the biblical parameters. It's God speaking to you through them, so the parameters are the word of God. And if it's not there, you don't submit to it. Obey them that have the rule over you because they're speaking the Word of God to you, so you're coming under the Word of God, under God's recognized authority that you've set aside in this context, the elders. And submit yourselves. That's voluntary submission. Just like a wife submission to her husband. It never says, Husband, what is wrong? Get your wife to submit to you. never says that. And some of you keep trying to do it that way and it's not going to work. That's not your job. I mean, you can gently point to... Scripture. But don't use that for your self-advantage, man. We know how that works. Well, you're supposed to submit to me. You're, you're always off when you have to remind your wife to submit. Just, you're always on the wrong, wrong foot there. So it's voluntary. God says, you submit yourselves. Why? Because they watch for your souls. Why do you need somebody to watch for your soul? Because there are people that draw back to perdition rather than believe to the saving of their soul. So the watch over one another's souls is God working through that to help us get to glory, faith intact. Because God is using one another. He uses that as we minister grace to each other. So the reason is they watch for your souls... As they that must give an account. This must always be in the forefront of a mind of a minister. You will give a logos for your ministry. You will give a word to God what you did. That's fearful in a good way. Let that always be in front of the minds of anyone who's in biblical leadership or has biblical authority and somebody is coming under that to submit to it. You're going to give an account. That will help you. That will help you greatly. But let them do it, not with grief, but with joy. What would be so grievous about watching over the souls of a flock? They won't submit to God's Word. That's the grief. <clears throat> it's not how you treat the men. I mean, It's not about Him. If you will not submit... God's authority, it grieves, should grieve, elders. It should grieve one another. It should grieve you if I don't. There should be grief, not joy. You know why? Because that would be unprofitable for you. Why should I come under the oversight? It would not be profitable for you if you don't. Which implies what? What great profit it is for you. If you come under the, the oversight of God-given authority with biblical parameters, right? That's very clear. There, there are men that will try to stretch those parameters. It's just, what does God say? How is ministry supposed to use the authority? Titus 2.15 Speak, exhort, rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. Rebuke means to correct encourage, speak the truth of God. There's an authority to speak it given to you from God and given to you by the church because the church has the ultimate authority. That means the church come un, comes under that and we rebuke one another. Which means when you rebuke me, I say, you know, you're, it's in the Word. You're right. I'm, I'm going to ask God to help me to conform to that. That's profitable for me. It's profitable for you because God says it is. And then lastly, it protects you. It's going to protect you from something, both positively and negatively. Positively, First 1 Peter 1, 1.9, if we go back to the meaning of, of feed the flock of God, which means to supply what is requisite for the, for the soul's need. Requisite means, what does that mean? It means you're going to provide something that is needed for a particular end. And what is the end of your faith? 1 Peter 1.9 Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. So positively, this watching, this, this care, even one to another, is to help us stay on the pathway to glory because the, what the soul needs is to be so fed and nourished by the Word of God that we stay safely on the pathway of God to glory for which God keeps us. In part, he does that with the Word of God. He has other means that he uses. But the feeding and the nourishing provides what is requisite to meet the end that God has ordained, the salvation of your soul. So faith is being nourished by the Word of God. We need this. But negatively, how does it protect us? Because if we move from submission and humility to pride... We move from being fed and being watched. And we move away from that. Then we move right into the jaws of a lion. Verse 8. Be sober vigilant because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. And who is easy lunch for him? The proud that God is resisting. The humble... He can't touch, like the animal that strays from the herd and gets all alone, is isolated. It really doesn't matter how big the animal is. If you ever watch some of those documentaries, a lion can bring him down, and he rips him to shreds. You see the imagery Peter is using. When we move away from being fed, when we move away from oversight, when we become isolated and alone and do it our way, we move from humility to pride, we move right toward the mouth of a lion. And He will chew you up. And He would chew me up. So the protection that God is giving us through feeding and through oversight and through, verse 5, submitting ourselves to one another, be clothed with humility is rather than being resisted by God, grace keeps coming. Grace keeps coming. See, pride shuts off the flow of grace like water in an aqueduct that fed the Roman cities and provinces is shut off when it's clogged. Pride clogs the aqueduct of God's grace flowing through humility and faith that we need so desperately. This is a blessing. This is something you and I desperately need. And then thirdly, and lastly, we are humbling ourselves in a passive response to the work of God. Verse 6, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you in due time. What is the mighty hand of God? In, In the Bible, it's most often the work of God, His activity in the world and in your life, called providence. If the counsel of God is the decrees and plan of God, then the outworking of His infinite plan is His providence, which is taking place according to His work in your life. What is humility here? You come under, and you respond, and you embrace God's mighty hand of providence in your life, even when it means in First Peter... Reproach, insults, evil speaking, distresses, troubles, suffering, sickness, poor health. All distresses of every kind are under the sovereign sway and the mighty hand of God because He's working everything after the counsel of His own will. So to respond rightly is to embrace God's mighty hand in such a way that we stay there. Because the threat is what? We move out and away from God. If you doubt God's goodness, if you doubt God's love, and you begin to move away from God, that's pride. Humility embraces the work of God's providence in everything and stays under His hand. And then the point that Peter specifically wants to make to tell us what humility is under His hand is in verse 7. Casting. That's a verb participle. How do you humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God? You you receive, God is right, you acknowledge, you affirm, He's right, He's good, He's gracious. And then out of that humility, you're casting all your anxiety and your care on Him. Casting, you throw it on God, you toss it on God. Why? Because He's caring about you. See, the implication is the very hand of God that you're doubting, that you're suspicious, that you question His love, God is saying, that very hand is caring about you. He does care about you. And if you don't humbly respond and see God's providence that way, you'll doubt that care and you'll move out from under His mighty hand. Then you'll stop the serving, stop the worshiping, stop the holiness, and stop pursuing godliness. Why? Because you just think he doesn't care. You ever thought that in your life? Nobody cares about me. Dad doesn't care. Mom doesn't care. Siblings don't care. Church doesn't care. Now it could be someone reaches a place where people really don't care. I'm sure that's true of people in the world. People have manifested they really don't care. You know, beloved, there have been times in your life when you were outside of the will of God. You would admit that? You have never been outside the care of God. As a believer, you have never been outside of His love and care. So when His providence, when His dark providence comes, as the old writers used to call it, remember, behind a frowning Providence, he he hides a smiling face. He's smiling on you, he loves you, and he's working for your good. And so humility responds not by keeping your care, because if you keep it, what are you saying? I don't trust God. I don't I don't trust him. I doubt. I'm suspicious. I don't know if he's doing me good. I don't know if he cares about me. So what do you do with your anxiety? You take it to somebody else, you take it to another source. You try to get help from another source, or you try to keep it yourself and deal with it. That's pride. But when you understand what the Bible says about God's sovereign providence and His deep love for us because of Jesus, then we can look through the clouds. We can look through the tapestry that God is weaving. We can see on the other side a beautiful picture that God is creating out of His love. So let's remember The way we humble ourselves is first we passively just embrace the wonder of His grace, the word of His grace, and then the work of His grace. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank You for Your grace, Lord. Without it, we would be lost. Without it, we would be undone still. Without it, we would still be in unbelief. We would still be in the darkness we would still be darkness we would still be outside of the fold but jesus said other sheep i have which are not of this fold them also i must bring and they will hear my voice and there shall be one shepherd and one fold thank you lord we are amazed and we are humbled by your grace and your kindness may we respond appropriately Lord, we are humbled by Your Word and we want to be submissive to it. We want to subject ourselves to what it says and ask You to give us understanding so that the joy of the Lord may be more of our strength, our stronghold. We understand who Christ is and what we are without Him. And Lord, may we respond in humility under Your mighty hand by acknowledging You're righteous in all Your ways. Just and right are You. You're without iniquity. So bless us not to charge you foolishly, Lord, concerning your providence. Let us not doubt you or be in suspicion of your love, but to know because of Jesus Christ and you didn't spare him, how will you not freely also give us all things? Your hand is at work in our lives for our good because you are caring for us. May we ever daily cast all of our burdens, cast all of our care. Cast all of our heartaches, our disappointments, what hurts, what brings pain, what brings sorrow. Cast it on the Lord Jesus Christ, who bore our sins on Calvary, surely can bore, can bear our anxieties. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen.